Awesome. We've been continuing our study in the book of Acts. And we've been watching Peter and John begin to take leadership in the church, the early church. And God is doing an amazing work now. The body of believers has actually grown in this church that started. And this is, again, after Jesus came, lived his life ministry here on earth, was crucified on the cross for our sins, died and resurrected, entered into eternity with heaven, with God the Father above. And afterwards, he told his disciples, he said, look, wait here in Jerusalem. I want you to stay in this place and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you before you go out. And dwell here and wait upon me. And so they had to wait and they waited. And the Holy Spirit came on that day of Pentecost and filled them so that the tongues of fire were shown above them and they started to speak in different tongues and they were able to understand each other. And then from there, the apostles and the disciples began to go out and perform miracles amongst the people there in Jerusalem. Remember Peter and John, they healed the lame man. He had been lame from the time that he was a little child from his mother's womb and came across and Peter and John looked at him and said, look, silver and gold we don't have for you as he was begging there for money. He says, but we do have, what we do have we give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and rise and walk. And then they entered into the temple and they were praising the Lord. And then whenever you see a work of God, be prepared. Because whenever there's a movement of the Spirit, whenever there's a work of God, it's immediately met with an attack from the enemy. We see this time and time again. So once Peter and John performed this miracle of the Lord, the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time, the Jewish leaders, they came against them. And they threatened them. And they said, don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. But instead of obeying man, they obeyed God. So they continued to preach and to teach. And the church, it began to grow and more and more were added. They went from 120 souls in that upper room. And then God added to them to the amount where they're now to 5,000 people and joined this body of believers. And this church community, they began to give amongst each other. And be, they began this form of, of communism in the early church where everyone was living off of each other's uses and assets. And remember in chapter 4 at the end of it, Barnabas is mentioned. Barnabas is mentioned as coming to the apostles and disciples and giving them this large portion of land that he sold. And he gave that money to the church. Now, as we read the early church, we see their heart was genuine and wanting to give amongst each other. But the sort of economic way that they were doing it did lead to some problems. 
I'm not, I'm not going to slight them greatly for, for doing so. I believe they had a genuine love for one another and love for God. But look at the beginning of chapter 5 as we see these two characters, Ananias and Sapphira, and some of the things that they go through. It says in verse 1 of chapter 5, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. So we have these two characters now who are brought into our account. Ananias, his name, it means whom Jehovah has graciously given. And then Sapphira, his wife, her name actually means beautiful. And in certain translations, her name is actually Sephora. Perhaps you guys have heard of the makeup company called Sephora. That word Sephora, it means beautiful. Now, the sad thing about Ananias and Sapphira is that though their names were so filled with beauty and grace, and that they were far from it in their hearts. That they're going to turn against the Lord. I'm reminded in Proverbs 31, 30 that charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So now, as they sold this probably a plot of land or some sort of possession, in verse 2 it says, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? So now, Ananias and Sapphira, they came, they brought this offering to the church. Ananias was bringing that portion to them. And they kept a part of it. Now, there's nothing wrong for Ananias to keep part of the money that he had earned. There was nothing wrong with that for him to keep some of the money. But this is what was wrong about what he did. Is that both of them lied to make it seem as though they were more virtuous by giving all, supposedly, the money that they had earned from this sale. Now, they didn't have to do that, but they wanted to make themselves look more righteous than others. And their sin here, it's a sin of hypocrisy. Do you guys ever see in plays and in theater, sometimes they have those masks as like, decoration that have the happy face and the sad face and the scared face. That mask was actually worn by the Greeks in their time during theater. And when they would put that mask on, they were known as the hypocrite, the actor. And they would put this mask on to show what type of emotion they were supposed to be acting out. But in reality, the actor themselves wasn't really sad. They were just acting. That's where we get our word hypocrite from, hypocrisy. It's someone who's acting, someone who's pretending to be something that they're not. And Jesus warned us from being hypocrites. Remember he told the Pharisees harshly, who said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, the casket looks all nice and shiny, blinged out, 
white and fancy, but inside it's dead man's bones. And that's what happens to us when we play the hypocrite. We might seem like we could say the right Christianese, like we could say the right words, and say, oh, praise the Lord, brother, praise the Lord, sister. But deep down inside, we're just like, oh, did you see the kind of, the kind of shoes that she was wearing? Or it's just something ridiculous. Or we have hatred for people. We're two-faced. And we can't be that way. We're supposed to be single-minded, not double-minded. When we're double-minded, we're tossed about in our emotions and in the problems of this world. But we need to be set on God, our rock. Now in verse 3, it said, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Why have you, you have not lied to men, but to God? See now, look and recognize who filled Ananias' heart? Satan did. And Ananias, he allowed Satan to fill his heart. Just this past Wednesday, we talked about how Satan, as the ruler and prince of this world, of the sinful world, he wants to attack us. He wants to target and attack our will. Because he wants to get our will to the opposite of what God's will is for our life. So he's going to use all types of weapons, but sometimes he loves to use pride as a weapon. And he has this purpose to make us independent of God's will. He doesn't want us concerned about what God wants us to do, but he just wants us to be concerned about what we want to do and not to think about what the Holy Spirit is leading us into. Because if we'll simply just do anything that's not God's will, then we're already worshiping Satan. We don't have to go to the Satanic Temple over in LA or wherever to be worshiping Satan. All we have to do is just say, ah, no God, not today. I don't want to do today. I don't want to pray today. I don't want to be Christian. So what's our defense then when pride creeps into our hearts? Our defense is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When the Holy Spirit fills us, our hearts, our minds are renewed so that our wills can be aligned with what God wants us to do. And then once we are in alignment with what God wants us to do, all of a sudden we're living the purpose-filled life. If we're created for a reason, God's made us specifically for a special cause, and we do anything that's not that, then we're going to be frustrated and say, why isn't this working out? Why aren't we able to do the things that we want to do when we want to do them, and why isn't it working out? But when we just die to ourselves, submit to God, go into what His will is, all of a sudden we realize, wow, this is bringing peace in my life. 
Even though there's trials and struggles that are coming our way, we still feel fulfilled and know we're living out our purpose. So Ananias and Sapphira, they were not following the will of God. And their sin, it was against God, not against man, but their sin was against God and it was led by greed, by deceit, where they said, look, we we're giving you guys all the money that we earned, but really they weren't. And where does the sin come from, it says in this verse, in verse 4? At the end of it, he said, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You see, our heart. In the scriptures, in the, in the Greek, that our heart the definition for that is the soul or the mind. It's the fountain and seat of the thoughts, passions, desires, our appetites, our affections, our purposes, our endeavors. All relating to the heart. When these desires, when these passions and affections are filled with sin, we're led far from the Lord. Remember Jeremiah, verses 17, chapter 17, 9-10, says this, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his dealings. Perhaps you've heard people say, like, oh, God knows my heart. Like, he knows that I'm good. Like, yeah, God knows your heart's deceitful and wicked above all things. So we need to make sure that we have that humility in our life. That humility is not thinking lower of yourself or that you're terrible, but humility is just not thinking of yourself. It's simply putting God and people first. God first. Then love your neighbor and love yourself. The golden rule, right? Now in verse 5, Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Wow. So as Peter rebukes Ananias, suddenly he just falls down and says he breathed his last. In the King James Version, it says he fell down and gave up the ghost. Referring to death. And death, that's when our consciousness, it leaves our body. But the soul will go on. Now the men here, it says that they were had to carry him up. And obviously these are young men because the body was heavy and they had to carry him out to bury him. They did it right then and there because in Jewish culture, when someone would die, they would bury them that day. They wouldn't wait. Now, and to this day, they still practice that. Where when somebody passes away, they have the funeral that day. Maybe you remember when Jesus called to a certain man to follow after him as a disciple. He said, follow me, 
But then the man replied to him, well, let me first go and bury my father. You see, when the man said this to Jesus, he, his dad wasn't dead at the time. Because if his dad would have been dead, the funeral would have, would have been that day. This was actually, in their culture, kind of a slang term for saying like, oh yeah, like sure, I'll get to it. I'll get around to it sometime. Kind of putting it off. It was a, a slang for procrastination. He's like, oh, I'll do it when I bury my father. But his father was still alive and well. We need to be obedient. Once God asks us to do something, we can't delay. Because delayed obedience is disobedience. Number seven. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. See here, Sapphira has no idea what's going on. She didn't have a cell phone that they would have called her up and said, hey, you gotta pick up your husband's body back in the temple. They didn't have that kind of communication back then. So she walks into this blind and Peter asks her the same question that he asked her husband. And then in verse nine, then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. Wow. See, these two kept back some of their tithe and they lied, testing the Lord, which was the sin and it's interesting because we're not to test the Lord except in one thing, and it's written in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. You need to turn it out, I'll read it to you. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So this is quite opposite to what Ananias and Sapphira had did. They tried to play the hypocrite, try to lie to the Holy Spirit to make themselves look better. When God in his word, he promised us, this is a spiritual promise. That when we pour into God's kingdom, he pours out of the windows of heaven so much that there's not enough room to receive it. Perhaps you've had those inclinations at times to, to just give out of nowhere more than you normally do. And then later on, all of a sudden, the Lord just meets you and blesses you. And it's not always money. God is not a, a bank account where you just pour in and then you get back that cash check. No, God blesses us what he sees fit. And it's a, a cool spiritual law to practice this, to practice that giving to the Lord. You take off the top, whatever that tithe is, whatever God puts on your heart to do that, 
is to, to watch God then bless you. To be completely transparent with you guys right now, uh, I'm, I'm saving on what, on what I desire. I just got engaged, praise the Lord. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm saving right now. And you know what? I'm looking at the, me and Seth are looking at the finances like, okay, like we're going to try to do this. And now all of a sudden we're living on chicken and rice for lunch every day and in the home. And you know what though? We've talked about this and we said we have to be faithful to our time. We have to be faithful to the Lord first, off the top. We want to make sure that we are obedient to Him. Because we want to be blessed and we want to, not only that, but it's more about us loving God back. He's blessed us with so much. Let's not, why not pour into his kingdom? So that, that's the simple message. I don't want to go too big on, I'm not trying to go too big on tithing. I don't think that's the main message of this scripture right here. So in verse 11, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Now, sometimes we see God in the Old Testament as being this wrathful, just God. And then when we read the New Testament, we're like, well, God's more gracious and you know, merciful. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here, what we're reading in the New Testament, two are struck dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. Now, who would like God to deal with our church the way he dealt with Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament church. Raise your hand. Good. <laughs> Don't die. <laughs> you see, we, we want grace and mercy in our life. And that's, that's great. We should desire that grace and mercy. But don't mistake God for not being still wrathful and just. Because God is wrathful. God is just. We can't hide our thoughts and desires from Him. Those sinful thoughts are clearly seen before the Lord. So what do we do? We simply ask God every day to cleanse us, to fill us anew, to forgive us of our sins. It's a daily lifestyle of prayer and repentance and growth. In verse 12, it says, And through the hands of the apostles... Many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Wow, now the signs and wonders are being done by the disciples, and Jesus had told them already that greater deeds would be done through them, and now it's been fulfilled. And so I like how they meet outside of Solomon's porch, which was this beautiful porch on the east side of the temple in Jerusalem. And it overlooks this beautiful valley. And they would meet there, the disciples. And then in verse 13, it says, Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. Now you can imagine, after hearing about Ananias and Sapphira, about their death, they might have told each other, like, the people, as they're seeing the disciples, Oh, it's good to know your disciples in space, you know, and kind of say a little bit back, as you know, people just died over here. Kind of scared, brought the fear of the Lord into their hearts. And in verse 14, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick 
out into the streets and lay them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Here we see in these verses the miraculous actions that were done through the apostles, and it's amazing how simply the passing of Peter's shadow on people would heal them. So what we see in that, though, is it's not just Peter's shadow. It's the faith that is activated through Jesus Christ. Where people, they, they just have this faith that if just the shadow of Peter would go over me, that by Jesus Christ I would be healed. Do you remember the woman with the flow of blood who had this flow of blood for 12 years? The Bible talks about her. And Jesus was going through the town in those days and she knew that Jesus was coming her way. And she thought, if I could just get to Jesus, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be healed. And so she walked through the crowd and finally came close to him and touched Jesus, and suddenly Jesus stopped as everyone was walking with him. He said, stop, stop, someone touched me. And his disciples were like, Jesus, what do you mean somebody touched you? The crowds are all around you. Everyone's touching you. And he's like, no, I perceive that power has left me. And Jesus then said, who touched me? So this woman, kind of scared, said, it was me. I was the one who touched you. And then he commends her faith. He said, go, you're, you're healed. And she was healed. Because she had just had that point of activation in her faith. And we do that sometimes. The reason why sometimes I'll, I'll use oil when I pray over somebody. And put it on their head or on their body and then heal or, or then pray for them. Is because that oil, it's, there's not power in the oil itself, but it's a point of activation where I know that in the Bible that they would use this oil as a sign of the Holy Spirit upon a person. And then I pray and I ask that Jesus would heal this person. And we have those points of activation. There was this uh, opportunity I, I did have once to be with my, my friend Mike Sanchez, and he had this niece who went to the doctors because she had this pain in her side, and they came back with the report that she had kidney stones. And it was kind of a very scary thing for her to kind of endure, and a very painful thing. And one day on a Friday night Bible study that Mike was hosting, we all got together and we prayed over her. And the next time she went to the doctors, the kidney stones had disappeared. They couldn't find them anymore. They went for a second checkup, the pain was gone, and God healed her miraculously. She never had to pass the stones. And that was one experience where, in the moment, I remember just feeling that like God was gonna heal her, and there'd be all of us together praying over her, laying hands on her. For some reason, it was just confirmed in my heart that God was gonna heal her. And it wasn't my prayers, it wasn't me, it wasn't, it was God, it was the Holy Spirit. And it, it was just 
awesome to see that God works in so many different ways. God does the miraculous, and it's not always the same way. God is not a cookie-cutter God. Where it was like, oh, how, how is it exactly, what were the words that I said to pray this, to heal this girl? I'm going to say it exactly the same way so that it works. No, God can work in so many different ways. And it's awesome that we have the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do so. Look at verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Sadducees, materialists, that's what they were. They didn't believe in the spirit or in resurrection. And now they're putting persecution on, again, the apostles. They want control over them. Now, I had an interesting conversation with this pastor recently. His name is Eddie. He pastors a church over in, in Texas. Now, let me explain before I, I say what I'm about to say that I think that we should be wearing masks and I wear a mask when I go out and I want to protect people and I'm cautious of that. But I do see it now once it's required as it is a, a form of, of control in a way, in this sense. Right now we can't go into supermarkets without the mask, right? You have to have a mask if you go into a supermarket. Is this the beginning of a way for our world to be accepting of control? So that when, in the future, maybe they can get a device that will tell you if you have coronavirus, put it on you, and in order to go into a supermarket, you have to have that device. Because in Revelation, the book of Revelation, it says that there's going to be a mark of the beast that everyone has to have. And without it, you cannot buy, you cannot sell, you cannot trade, you can't work. And what I'm seeing it is our society is bringing condition right now. That I'll, I believe that when the mark of the beast comes, that it's not going to be greatly opposed. It's going to be greatly accepted because it would seem normal, it would seem fitting and safe for people to take so that we can be concerned for our brethren. But I digress. We need to pray for our future. We need to pray that we are prepared for persecution as the apostles are facing. Look at verse 19. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Wow. The Lord has so many ways to get us out of the most seemingly impossible situations. In this case, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors for these apostles who were in prison. The miraculous is happening. God can do so many wonderful things in so many different ways. And this angel told them to go to the temple and speak the words of this life. And this life, what they're referring to? They're referring to the gospel. We're referring to that true spirit-filled life in Christ. Remember what Jesus told Martha? After the death of her brother Lazarus, 
Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. But Martha said to him, I, I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. This is the life that the angel of the Lord wanted the disciples, the apostles, to go preach in the temple. The life of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ himself is everything we need. He's the door, he's the good shepherd, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, he's the resurrection and the life. He is the living water. Jesus is everything we need. In verse 21, and when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prisons shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Um, I imagine that these guards, these Jewish guards, these religious guards must have been there, maybe put in the daze as the apostles walked out because the doors were open. Maybe they were put to sleep by this angel. They got him in the chokehold and he just knocked him out. Who knows? But it seems like they didn't even know that the guys were missing. And in verse 24, Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Now they're doing the very thing right here that they were in prison for. They went right back to it. They remind me of Daniel right here. Daniel was a man in the Old Testament, a prophet, who prayed three times daily. And his peers were envious of his position, his power. So they made this law to prohibit anyone from praying up to anyone other than the king, King Darius. But still, once this law was passed, Daniel still prayed three times daily, out in the open. And because of this, they sent him to the lion's den, and there God protected him in the lion's den. May we be Christians who obey God rather than men. In verse 26, Then the captain went with the officers, brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. See, oftentimes the Pharisees, they, they feared the crowds, and they were seeking to please man rather than God. Saul, in this life of David, he did, did. Now, what they're being charged with, the disciples, these are excellent charges to be charged with. May God help us so that we're charged with filling our city with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. 
What an awesome thing to be accused of. Can you imagine if a mayor was to call you in and say, hey, we've been hearing that everyone in this city knows about Jesus because of you. That would be amazing. But the second charge, what they charged him for, they said, and you intend to bring this man's blood on this. Now, if you recall, when Pilate had Jesus there before him, already whipped, Pilate said, I, I don't find any fault in this man. And they said, the Jews together said, crucify him. And then ceremonially, he brought this basin of water before him. He washed his hands and he said, I'm clean. My hands are clean from this man's blood. And then the Jews at that time said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. Crucify him. And now here, they say, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us? Again, hypocrisy. It says in verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. I'll highlight in our Bible, I'll underline that. Sometimes God is going to tell you to obey man, but you must never obey man when it disobeys God. In verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered, by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So here again we have the gospel, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit given to us so that we can live this life, a Holy Spirit-filled life. And in verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to be put the apostles outside for a little while. Now this character, Gamaliel, he actually disciples Paul. We'll learn more about how he discipled Paul later on in the book of Acts. It says this in verse 35, And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. Now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Wow. See, when God is for you, who can be against you? 
when God calls man, when God calls a woman to a task, they are invincible until that task is complete. You see, but we ourselves, we don't know when our task is fulfilled. But when God calls you to do something, there's nothing that can stop him. Often we find ourselves striving against people and their plans, against our own plans. But if we were to first take it to prayer and realize that if God wants a plan to fail, it's going to fail. If God wants a plan to succeed, it's going to see. We don't need to worry about these things. In verse 40, And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to, sh to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Awesome. Now they're experiencing persecution but full of joy. They're living that purposeful filled life where even though things are not the best, they know they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. I'll leave you guys with these three verses that remind me of what the apostles are going through. Something that we need to apply to our lives daily, I believe. In James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, it says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Again, in 1 Peter Chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. And lastly, in life verse, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that is given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you Lord, that you fill us with your spirit, that you lead and guide us, Father, into your perfect will. I pray and I ask, Father, that you would give us, Father, favor in this season, 
protect our families, protect our friends, Lord God. I pray for an end of this virus. I pray, Father, that believers would be able to meet freely again. I ask, Lord, that you would fill us with faith, Lord God. May we learn, Father, to obey you rather than man. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. challenge for you guys and for myself is to use the name of Jesus in conversation with people this week. To bring up his name. Not even just God, but Jesus, his name, who he is. Tell people how he blessed you. Tell people how he saved you. How he's speaking to you, giving you wisdom and help in your life. Thank you.